Hi there. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for all the love and support you have given us in recent times. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to the podcast and give us a follow on our social media. This podcast is brought to you by The Retro Kit, an online store where you can buy all of your favourite shirts. From Zidane's famous black and white striped Juventus kit to Thierry Henry's invincible shirt, they have it all. You can check them out by visiting our Instagram page. And now it's time for the latest episode. Welcome to Pitchside Perspective Podcast with your hosts Stuart Sharples and Jack Colazar. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Pitchside Perspective Podcast. In today's conversation, we're delving into the intricate world of sports psychology with a true expert in the field. Joining us is the lead sports psychology coach educator for the U.S. Soccer Federation, Dr. Lee Hancock. With a wealth of experience under his belt, Dr. Hancock has not only published three books, including his latest masterpiece, Talent Zones, but has also spearheaded comprehensive soccer and educational programs for both professional and youth soccer clubs nationwide. His expertise has made him a trusted advisor to numerous clubs and esteemed coaches. As well as all of this, he has most recently created Sports Psych FC, which is a platform that helps athletes develop their mental high-performance mindset. In this episode, we'll explore why understanding the psychology of players is paramount for modern coaches, and Dr. Hancock will share insights on how everyday coaches can use this understanding to enhance their players' performance and overall well-being. Talking about mental. Jack, how are you, mate? Uh, I'm good. I'm hoping one day I get an introduction like that, Stu, and uh, he can read off my credentials like that. <laughs> It'll be a very short introduction if I'm doing that, though. I know, yeah. Um, but uh, obviously, uh, last week we had you asking me the question. I'm, uh, I'm going to give you a, a trivia question this week. Uh, hopefully you're ready. It's a, it's a pretty tricky one. So hopefully you've got your brain working. Um, so it came out recently that the two most common surnames in the Premier League is Jones and Johnson. So there are five players in the Premier League with the last name of either Johnson or Jones to have won the Premier League. And they're, they're not all current players. They've passed. Yeah. There is there is one current player and four uh, past players. And there's also a bonus sixth player out there with the word Johnson in their last name somehow. That's a ridiculous question. I don't know. I'm going to ever get that. <laughs> but I will, uh, I will give it a try. But um, yeah, Actually, good I've, got, I've got I've got a couple already come to mind. So yeah, I'll give it yeah. Told you, you, you're you're a bright one. You'll get it. You'll get there in the end. All right. So we'll come back at the end and we'll uh, we'll delve into that one. Um, but as mentioned in the introduction, we're, uh, we're it's a pleasure to have uh, to Lee on on our podcast today. So Lee, how are you, mate? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I mean, when I hear the word masterpiece in my introduction, I, I feel like it. I can only go down from that. Uh, <laughs> So I'll really try and live up to the hype that I've been given. Yeah. No, you uh, you, you truly deserve it. I've done a lot of uh, digging into like, what you've kind of been doing, and you you you're a big name within this. I've been within this, and you're a, a book of knowledge um, from your books, from your your new platform. It's it's great to have you on. Um, and as a new guest, Jack has five questions for you. Yeah, these questions seem quite insignificant and uh, <laughs> basic now after after everything 
we said prior to this and also the stuff we're going to get talking about. But I have five quick fire questions for you. Uh, name? My name is Lee Hancock. Your favorite team? Oh, man, this is an easy one. Manchester United. Stu's happy about that. I'm loving this. We've now number one guest. besties. Shout out to the number one guest ever. <laughs> uh, your favorite ever sporting memory? Yeah, I mean, geez, I love watching my kids play, quite honestly. Um, if my twins listen to this, they're going to be upset. But my oldest son hit a banger to win uh, the high school championship when he was a junior in extra time just after COVID. So it was just such a fun piece to watch he and his friends go crazy and unleash what was such a lot of emotions. Uh, that's probably it. Yeah, I guess that's probably it. Again, if my twinsies hear this, maybe we'll have to create an extra side episode for, for R2 coming. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's probably it. Yeah, Proud moment it. for sure. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, your favorite ever kit? Favorite ever jersey? I have a number of United tops and I've got one that I don't remember the year, but it looked like a polo. It was blue and it was kind of terry cloth and it says sharp in the middle. Yeah, I know and the one. It, I love that top. Like it's such a great, yeah, that, that's probably my favorite one. Is that yeah. the blue with like the black kind of almost like Ziggy blurring into yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. They, they've, they've got another one that I have hanging up that's a reversible mm. with Vodafone. Yeah, the yeah. white and gold one. That's yeah. the white and gold one. I've got that hung up in my uh, Garafa gym classroom that I yeah. use. Call it. But yeah, that's a good one. The white and gold one always makes me think of Ruud van Nistelrooy. That's the player I always associate with. What a with player. Yeah. What a player. And then last question, best player seen live? I mean, it's got to be messy. Yeah, it's got to be messy. My oldest plays um, soccer in the city that he that he went to uh, for a, for a game. This was in, in in MLS. I've never seen him with Argentina or Barcelona or any of those teams. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's got to be. Yeah, it's struggling. a popular answer. I'm struggling to think of. I don't think I'm there's anywhere. Saying, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anywhere else to go after that, right? Once you yeah, yeah, yeah. it's got to be people's answers. Yeah, it's been a number one answer, I think, so far. Yeah. So then yeah. on Messi, what what do you think about his his impact that he's had in the MLS? He's uh, he's come in and kind of blown it away. I mean, that's a that's a big question to tackle. I think it can only benefit the league, especially because of Apple's involvement and and putting putting the league on the map just a little bit more. I mean, that's good for the league. You know, I'm always interested to how that's going to impact domestic players because. To break into the MLS is not as easy as it was 10 years ago. So if you're a domestic player, especially up the spine, it's a bit more difficult. But again, for the game globally to put eyes on the MLS with Apple's, you know, in flux or in everybody's houses and phones and stuff, I think I think it's good. I mean, you're going to have a lot of people, a lot of haters, but um, whatever. I mean, you're trying to grow the game, you know what I mean? And and. It's difficult to do organically with the other sports we have. We're a sporting nation, and that's definitely down the pecking order. So I think getting casual fans involved is is important. And if that does it, then I think that's good. I think it's good. We'll see. We'll see in time. Again, part of it is raising the minimum salary cap for a lot of the guys, which is a big deal if you guys know the league. But um, it's good. 
Yeah, and no, hopefully uh, it has more positives and negatives obviously coming across and uh, hopefully brings a new breed of people and fans coming into it. But um yeah. love to kind of get kick-started with this episode and uh, I'd love for you just to kind of talk about your past and what you've kind of done within this career um, and how you've come to the point now of Sports Psych FC. Yeah, I mean, uh, I like a lot of people who get into this field, I think are trying to answer questions about who they are and maybe their own failures as an athlete. You know, I was decent. Um, I played in college and a little bit after college, but I was definitely limited. And I think part of that was maybe managing pressure in key situations, um, you know, to take that next step. So part of it was answering questions about there. Plus I, I wanted to be a really impactful coach. I went down the coaching route fairly early in my, in my, failed career 23 24 ish and and so I wanted to make be a really impactful coach and and part of that knowing I was never going to play high level professionally or national teams I knew if I was going to impact a staff at the college or professional level I would have to have something else in my toolkit and so that was kind of what I what I wanted to get more educated on and the more I got into it the more I just loved it and creating that great environment for athletes to be successful and to arm coaches with information and to be able to 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 impact that aspect of sports psychology, not only as a practitioner but as an edu- as an educator, when we practitioner being sports psych person to work with individual athletes and teams, but also as an educator to other coaches, because I think coaches for me are the sports psychologists, the best ones, without even knowing any of the ins and outs of the theories and concepts. They are, you know, you know these players you could write, the coaches you could rattle them off. Um, so that was a big thing. And quite honestly, with my career, I just, I've been a, really blessed to be around good teachers and, and great programs. I was at Arizona State University with some amazing professors. And at the time was a very highly ranked program. And so I was very lucky there. I worked with great educators as I moved into my early career path in education. And then when I got into sports psych, you know, a couple of people just were very impactful with me in my life. A guy named Ken Revisa was a legend. Um, as a sports psych, and then just being kind of just around um, different pieces of content, you know, that people wrote. And so just been really lucky to be around great people. And I, and I had a why. I had a purpose and I had a why. And, and I was passionate about making an impact on athletes and making their experience better, you know, because for me, I'm very well aware of how difficult it is to be an athlete, you know, and you put yourself out there to be judged every day. And successful in terms of a pro team or a college team or youth team isn't just about that kid who's gonna get the gonna hit the banger to win a game. You know, what about number 17 or or in a college roster number 27? Are you treating that person with dignity and respect? Are you helping them grow as a human being and as a student athlete? Same thing with number 25 who's on your on your on your pro roster. What's successful to them? Are you, are you gonna help them to get a new contract? Are you gonna help find them a new experience after their professional career is done? Like there's so many positive ways we can impact athletes. And again, performance is one of them. You want to win championships, you got to have high performers. I get it. But you're also, your team is made up of different individuals. And so that was, that was a big passion of mine. So mine is an experience of being around really great people who cared about my development and having a real passion and why to make an impact on athletes. No, that's interesting. I think a big part you said there is you had your why. And I think a lot of people are still searching for their their whys. A lot of people get into the coaching world because they want to be involved within soccer, within football, but some people don't have their why. How did you how did you come across your why? How did it come to you? 
I think it's probably evolved over time. I would have said maybe my original why was like I needed answers. I wanted to make an impact, like kind of stuff that I said. I wanted to compete. You know, I hate losing. I love winning. Um, so that really as a young professional in coaching and in and in thing, I was driving. I was driving at being the best. And so part of that kind of morphed in time is into what I gave it the last definition of impacting people. But I always just think I wanted to make a difference. You know, I wanted to make an impact. And I just think that that why, again, has evolved over time. And I guess that's part of what I talk to athletes about. I go, allow that to take shape. Find your why, find your purpose, but allow it to take shape because everything changes. You know, as an athlete, you got you to be ready for what's next. And, but so your why has to be so much bigger than just winning games. That's cool. You want to win games? Great. But it's also about competing. It's about improving. It's about being, you know, a good teammate, a good human being around those teammates. And so, yeah, I guess my why, I don't know, I guess it just it, it kind of has evolved, um, evolved with me as a person, I guess, as well, you know. Do you think as well that you say there about it evolving, an important part of that is the reflection process of spending time to reflect on what you're doing, how you're doing it, and why you're doing it can almost help you evolve into your why. So how important to you is that reflection part? Yeah, I mean, part of why I think I, I feel like I'm good at what I do is I have failed. You know, I failed with athletes. Maybe I haven't done as good a job as a coach as I wanted to with a couple of athletes, and that eats at me. I've lost games and finals and 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 in tournament games, or I've missed the boat on developing a player or that kind of stuff. And I've had successes and and been on the right side of championships as well. But I always it ate at me. So I wanted to know why. Why why didn't I do a better job? Or if it ate at me so much, it's like I didn't do a good job there. That's not good enough. And so I think for me, it was always being able to look at myself in the mirror and go, was I as prepared as I could have been? And the answer is no. You know, was I as empathetic? Was I as demanding if we're going to go two sides? Did I insert myself at the right time? Did I shut up at the right time? And that reflection process was true honesty. And I, I think I have always been able to look at myself, well, not always, I'm very critical of myself, I suppose, but over time I've been able to look at myself and go, what can you do better for what's best for the athlete, you know, for what's best for the, for the human being. And part of that too, is then being around good coaches, been around good coaches, you know, and they're some of the best in the business in terms of like MLS guys, um, college guys, you know, that I've learned club guys that I've just learned an immense amount from. Um, where I've been able to go, God, what I'm doing is not where I want it to be, you know. And and now at 51, not 31, I go, it's 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 easier for me to go, yeah, that's not good enough, too. Whereas at 31, I'd be like, God, you weren't good enough. What are you doing? You beat yourself up. At 51, it's like, buddy, you didn't do well. You got to change, and do what's best for the athlete or the student or whoever it is you're working with, because that's what it's about. It's a player's game, you know. It's a player's game. And if you hear the great coaches now. You know, you hear the Kyle Shanahan's, you hear the 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 Reeds, you know, the Chiefs and the 49ers quarter uh, coaches, respectively. You hear the Popoviches and the Steve Kerr's and these guys in their in their sports. They all talk about that. You know, they all talk about helping nurturing their players. You know, and getting helping them achieve their goals and helping them be better. That's the goal, man. You know, so if you're not good enough, 
You better be able to look in the mirror and tell yourself that because if not, yeah, no good. It sounds like um, some of your kind of motivation, your why, if you like, comes from, or at times can come from maybe a negative experience, right? Like you talk about losing a game or not developing yeah. a player in the way you should. Yeah. I think for a lot of coaches too, sometimes it's having maybe a negative experience as a player when they were younger and almost saying, I want to be a coach to make a difference and not have players go through that experience that I had, for example, in a coach's <clears> mindset. <throat> how, how, do you, how would you advise people to kind of, go through these processes and use them as motivation or for reasons why they go into the, in, in along their journey as they do? That's a really good question. I mean, part of it is being patient with yourself. You know, what I see young coaches do is they try and rush through everything. And then when they have a bad experience, they beat themselves up and they don't try it again, you know, or they don't take time to reflect on it. It's like, be patient. You know, be willing to give yourself a little bit of an out here while you made a mistake and maybe you didn't make the right substitution. You've lost the game. You had a shocker. That's that happens sometimes, right? Or you didn't, <clears throat> you handled the player poorly and that happens sometimes. And so I think being patient with yourself and allowing yourself to go through those experiences is really important. I also think it's about putting yourself around good people, you know, because if you put yourself around people that are going to go, you're so good, you know, and it's like, that's not, that's not helpful. You know, that's not helpful. If the emperor isn't wearing any clothes, you better tell him because if not, he's going to be naked running down the street, you know? And if you put yourself around those people, um, which I have tried to, <clears throat> then they're going to tell you what's up. Um, and I tried to be that person lovingly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not always lovingly, but you know. But if I have a good relationship with them, I'll tell you what's up. You know, you might not like to hear it, but I'll tell you. Um, so yeah, I think patience... And putting yourself around good people with with some real criteria in place about how you're being judged. You know, if you're in a really good club or if you're in a good college system or professional system and you have a place that you trust, and there are, as an example, learning objectives for people to be objective about what it is you're doing well or poorly, then you can look at it and it's not subjective. It's like, I didn't do well here. Okay, that that happens. Um, so yeah, I think those those two pieces are places I would start for sure. Yeah, and it almost sounds like you're talking about people having maybe realistic expectations of themselves sometimes. Uh, I It reminds me of a I, I listened to Gary Neville on a podcast talk about when he was a player, a piece of advice he got then that he still uses on and off the field was almost asking yourself, did you expect this to never happen? You had a bad performance. Did you expect to go your whole career and never play a bad game? Yeah. Is that a realistic, you know, as well, a coach, that, did you expect to that's never a really make good a mistake? One. Yeah, that's a good one because players oftentimes lack self-awareness and or aren't willing to to take responsibility for, as an example, their mistake. And co we're, we as coaches, because I've coached before, I don't coach anymore, but we as coaches are the same. It's like we don't want to, we would rather not look in the mirror because it's too painful, you know, but but if you are willing to understand that, did you not think that was going to happen? Of course, it's going to happen to you. You're a player. You, you, you're not going to go through unscathed, especially if you're playing at the level that these guys play at. Or you're coaching at the level you're coaching at, youth, college, or pro. You're going to make mistakes. And if you go in understanding that, then it's about giving yourself the opportunity to then improve. Um, but yeah, self-awareness, massive. I mentioned Ken Revisa. If you guys have a chance, those of you listening, like Google this guy, Ken Revisa. What a ledge. Like, uh, blow for the Cubbies, work for the Angels, work for professional football teams. And his big thing was self-awareness. Like if an athlete or a person can't be self-aware or isn't willing to be self-aware, 
there's zero chance they're going to change. Zero. Yeah, and I think it's important when you talk about mm -hmm. that self-awareness is it's one thing to say you have to be self-aware, but I think it, it can be quite hard for not only us as adults to learn how to be self-aware, but sometimes asking children to be self-aware. So when we're talking about youth athletes, sometimes coaches look at them as mini professional athletes, but they're not, they're children. So yeah. what ways would you kind of find to help coaches who coach maybe at the youngest level and maybe even grassroots level how can we help our players be aware of themselves huh. yeah i mean um that's a module i hit which I'll, we'll talk about it later i know later i know my sports like fc because i i keep that one open like it's free to anybody who jumps on like they can jump into the awareness module and again we'll, we'll talk about it later but um i Part of it is you being non-judgmental and allowing the kid to be self-aware without coming down and going, you took that touch. What the hell are you doing? And that's obviously the worst case scenario. Well, not worse because there's a lot of curses out there with kids. But um, like, um, you know, when when you're asking a child to be aware, not even a college or a pro player, it's like, just be aware. That step in and of itself should give you the opportunity as a coach or tell you step back, let the person be aware of their own, because part of it is a learning process. Like I do this all the time with my sons and I, I actually was talking to them today or yesterday about it because they, um, they are super competitive, um, you know, super competitive. I don't know where they got that from, but, um, hate losing. But part of that is also being a good teammate. And, and when things aren't going right, can he be a good teammate? And we talk about that all the time. They lost their high school quarterfinal last night. They both step, stepped up and took their pens, which I was really happy about. And they did well. One of their teammates missed. And one of the twins stepped out to that kid and gave him a hug straight out. Like like right, right when the kid was walking back as he missed it, he gave that kid a hug. And for me, that's an awareness issue. Like he was aware that it was bigger than the game was bigger than the game or the moment was bigger than the game. And I couldn't be more proud of them. But part of that is me talking to them over time about being aware of your behavior in big moments, okay? And because sometimes they maybe haven't handled themselves well, but, but they're getting older now, you know, and they're maybe getting some empathy as 16 and 17 year olds do. And to be aware of that and me not going, you're, you're a terrible human being because you didn't hug that guy the last time you went out there. The 13 year olds ridiculous. But just going, hey, did you notice that? Did you recognize maybe how you could have handled that differently? And all right, cool, man. I just want you to kind of take note. And so part of that is just asking them and then being non-judgmental and introducing some of this stuff to them on the higher level, the, the social emotional level. In terms of skill, part of that is helping them, like giving them a chance to watch video or asking another person how they play. Because sometimes kids are so hard on themselves. They go, I was terrible. I was garbage. I was the worst player on the field. At every touch, it's so zero to a hundred. Video or other people provide a different perspective and are you willing to listen to those other people? Because if you're not, you're never going to change. So part of it is asking people, talking to them about it, giving them room to be flexible and how they move through it. But um, yeah, a lot of patience. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an interesting part. And I look back at like my playing days and these words that we use of self-awareness and anything really to do with the mindset, was never told to me as a player, but now is coming into it more and more. And with 
platforms like what you have in terms of sports psych fc talk to us a little bit more about what you're trying to do with it and what your what the platform's about yeah so i've been working with athletes for 25 years now and a lot of it for the first 20 was in person you know some remote stuff i mean i've worked in the last couple of olympics i didn't go to tokyo with the olympians because it was such a super bubble so I work with them remotely. So that was during COVID. But as COVID progressed, I started to work with a lot of athletes on Zoom. As we as we all did, everything we did was on Zoom. And so doing that, I was like, okay, I think I can do this. Because before I was like, I'm a better stage actor than a movie actor. Like I'm just, I feel like I'm better in front of people. I feel like I'm more impactful. I feel, I feel like I can inter interact more. But when you get in this Zoom stuff, I had to teach all my classes online. I got better at maybe being more empathetic and trying to understand them and engaging with them differently on on, on pictures, the cameras. It's crazy. For kids now, that's like totally normal. For us, it's like, what? So I got I got decent at that, sadly enough. Um, and so I was like, okay, I think I, I, I really want to start doing more of this and packaging this just kind of a little bit differently. And so then I started to kind of then do that as word of mouth. I don't, I'm not really an advertiser and I'm not, me and social media aren't friends, although LinkedIn, I do a little bit now. Um, and so I just kind of started to take on more Zoom clients, Zoom, 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 Zoom. And I was like, oh, I should put this just with what I love doing, which is more soccer stuff. And then I should, I've done a lot of content for groups over the years. And so I have a lot of online content or content that I was able to put online with my um, high performance mindset stuff, which is building mental skills and athletes with the acronym mental, um, and then helping them build these things in a four to six week way with me as, as individuals. So people can work with me individually one-on-one, -on -one, or they can go through the modules. And I wanted to kind of have me exist for them without talking to me, which is basically online modules, assignments, and individual forms so that you, Stu, right? Or you, Jack, could go, I want, I recognize I have to get better at this. Well, on Sports Like FC, I have a self-assessment where somebody can walk through and answer a couple of questions. It'll take three to five minutes. It looks like I'm struggling with confidence. Go into the confidence module, take the awareness module for free, sign up for the online platform and go into the confidence module. And in four to five weeks, you should have some assignments and basically some, some ideas for you to go build your confidence. So that's the whole idea. Can I work with more athletes on Zoom one-on-one? -on -one? And could I create a module system where athletes could walk through it on their own? So that's the idea. Yeah, in terms of an, an impact and that scalability, now you're able to impact so many more athletes by yeah. creating this platform. And, and that's really what I wanted to do because it's not as if it's magic. It's not rocket science. But what I do every time when I got on with athletes, I go... If we could wave a magic wand and you would be better tomorrow, what would you want to be better at? Well, I don't know. I just, and part of that is they can start thinking if they answer questions on their own or I'm talking to them. I just, I just never believe in myself or every time pressure comes, I struggle. I get distracted by when my parents come watch me. I'm like, okay, I got you. There are questions that exist on that sportsfc.com website that, that could answer that for any 11 to to 25 year old or older. It's like, that's what I need to get better at. Let me walk through these. So yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to do. It's like, how, how can I help more people? Yeah. You know?
it's almost like like the platform is almost like the stabilizers of a bike and you're gradually going to let go of the bike and let the kid ride on the bike on their own it's just opening those asking sorry those open-ended questions and just really just letting them have that guided discovery notion about them um when you talk about the the acronym for mental could you talk a little bit more on the surroundings of it and what the what mental means yeah so the idea is as i do my work with athletes and I work with Olympians or I work with kids or I work with college soccer players or I work with the LMU men's team. It really comes down to four to five mental skills. Okay. And if you can, if you can be high in these, if you can maintain, if you can stay in the green in these, as an example, and you can be highly in confidence, high in motivation, high in concentration, right? And, and you can stay high in these things and manage the lows, then the likelihood is you're going to be a high performer more often than not, right? Because the best athletes in the world go into the red where they doubt themselves, okay? Where their motivation is low, right? Where they can't manage stress. And so I was able to then come up with this acronym. It's like, just plop these four or five things into this mental M-E-N-T-A-L and then build modules from there. So M is mindfulness and concentration, right? E is emotional control. N is never-ending confidence. I had to get creative with that one. Um, and T is tenacious motivation. But that aspect, it's like manage your emotions, be confident, manage your motivations, and manage distractions. If you can stay in the green on those, you're good to go. And that's all based on awareness and then your language, which is the A and the L at the end. And that's how I work with athletes. That's exactly how I work with the the LMU men's team. I mean, we did really well this year, finished in the quarterfinals of the national tournament in the NCAA Division One tournament. I'm a minimal part of their day. Let me, let me say that to the entire staff before they start having a go at me when they start listening to this, okay? Um, but it really is then what I try and do with them in person, the athletes, and even the coaches, you know, getting their ears, I try and do online. Oh, it's interesting. And uh, it's not, not, not rocket science, man. Yeah, you know, it, and it, I'm not perfect. I feel like sometimes, as coaches, we sometimes look to overcomplicate things, right? But it's making it as simple as you can because, like, you take L for example, language. It's about the language you use, and as coach educators, when we're trying to coach maybe new coaches, don't overcomplicate things. You don't with the youngest of kids. You don't need to go into anything tactical. Just just talk to them as players and as humans, and just have conversations. The art of yeah. conversation is, is critical. Yeah. I mean, with what I have, am trying to do there is, and it's funny because Dan is fantastic and he says this, I'll, so I'll, I'll steal this phrase. He talks about demystifying sports psychology. Like that's straight from Dan. It's so smart. That's it. It's like, let's not overcomplicate it. You know, I'm super pragmatic. The fact that I have a PhD is ridiculous. I can't believe I made it through school. I hate school. Right. But for me, it's like, how can I say to an athlete, it's not that hard. These are the things you need to get better at. Let's work to get better at those. And it's a journey. Stop beating the hell out of yourself when you make a mistake or having a tough day at the office like we all do. You know, and when I educate coaches, it's like use this type of language with your athletes based on these things. Um, and that's really what my book, the, the latest book is about. The masterpiece, Stu, as you so well <laughs> Um, but it's like, it's just not hard. And part of that is like, you're talking to people like it just be patient and be thoughtful and the concepts are out there. So if you pull the best from these very simple concepts and 
put them into your everyday language. And that's how I created the U.S. soccer content as well. Like, it's like, just be chill out, bro. You know, be smart about the concepts you use and talk to people as people. Uh, the thing I like about the acronym too is, you know, coaches are used to breaking down, say, a technique into the mechanics of a technique. This is how you do it. And, and the acronym is almost helping coaches to break down, okay, how do how do I teach the technique of having a great positive mindset, a competitive mindset into yeah. into practical steps? Yes. Yeah, yeah um, that that's what I try and do. And in fact, that's exactly what I tried to do in one of the modules in the U.S. soccer licensing program that I put together. There's an individual development. So it's a learning objective in U.S. soccer's licensing program in the A Youth and the A Senior and the Academy Director courses. When I was given those learning objectives, what you just said, Jack, is exactly what I went at. It's like, how can I use concepts and give coaches some phrases and some ideas to build that competitive mindset? Okay. And understand as a coach, you got to be tough sometimes. You got to be demanding. Okay. That's the art to the science is you can't go, you know, give four negatives, give two positives, give six negatives and give four more negatives or positives. And all of a sudden you got a confident athlete, but giving them an understanding of the concepts and giving them some phrases that are useful and pragmatic, you make a difference in your sessions. And by the way, they'll probably be better athletes. So when I look at the the acronym as well, it's like, I'm looking through them and I've got them on my screen here. And I'm, I'm thinking for me, one of the most challenging ones would be the emotional control. What challenges do you find that athletes out there have when it comes to controlling their emotions and almost understanding their emotions as well? Yeah. So it's funny, like when you go to the website too, and I say it right on the front, it's like, go to the self-assessment section, any athlete, any parent, like just go look at it. But when you find that thing, emotional control as well, don't go, Hey, this is what you're garbage at. It's like, no, this is what you might need to improve at. Okay. So I wanted to throw that out there as well. The emotional control one is important because it's like stress and pressure is going to be there. Nothing wrong with it. And in fact, one of the things I talked to certainly my sons about and um, the boys about at the, at LMU and any athlete I work with is you're going to feel stress and pressure. And that's an opportunity, not a catastrophe. Now, knowing what that feels like in your body, what that sounds like in your head is simply an awareness and recognition process. That is the first step. Like, how do you manifest stress, right? Because stress is preparing you for fight or flight, which is something we all have heard in our lives. Once you understand what that means and you understand what that feels like, it's like, I know when I get stressed, my self-talk goes crazy. Lee, you're not good enough. You're going to make that mistake again. I can't believe you said that. What are you doing? I can feel myself going into the red in terms of the adjectives that, I'm, that, are, that, are, that are invading my mind. If I, as an example, can understand those adjectives, both what I am in the green and in the red, then all of a sudden I can make some adjustments because this is going to happen. But if you understand and you continue to put yourself in those situations and you don't beat yourself up, then what you get is more resilient and pressure is better for you and you're staying in the green longer. And when you go in the red, you go, that's not a big deal. I've been here before. And you're not beating yourself up all of a sudden you go, I feel myself in the orange. I'm getting to the red. I feel the words coming in. Lee, you're going to be okay. 
you start to smile. There's some real physiological things that you can do with your body that literally change the chemical makeup in your body. Body language with your arms up, which I'm putting my arms up, smiling, shoulders up, changes your body. So my point in all of this is, and this gets back to the awareness question, Jack, that you asked earlier. It's like, just be aware and allow yourself the opportunity over the next couple of weeks to do that and chill out. And then we can start to build ways for you to look at stress and go, I got you. It's coming. If you're going to play in a, in a big event, it's coming. You know? Yeah, all, all, already this, you know, the way you're talking about the self-awareness is um, definitely sparking ideas in my mind. One of the, um, I guess, most famous um, coach and, and athlete relationships might be the Mike Tyson and Cus relationship. And, and Mike Tyson speaks a lot about how basically he wasn't a coach. He was almost a, a psychologist. For Mike yeah. Tyson and the way he prepared him for big events and and how he learned to to view fear and nerves like you're talking about as part of the act and um and dealing yeah. with those and seeing them as a positive but obviously that's an individual one-on-one -on -one relationship in the soccer yeah. world we're dealing with a, a large group of players at a time and um for youth coaches maybe the time is limited with those players so how do they make the most of of the time that they do have with their players to impact them? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, for me, there is a lot of individual man management that has to take place. You know, when you started to go down the road, I thought you were going to go to the Alex Ferguson <laughs> that we're going to talk about United. The best ever. Best ever. I mean, but you look, look at Pep. Okay, right down the street. Okay, I don't like to talk about it, but he's clearly a man management genius. So for me, it's man management of players. And I know that's a lot to ask, but, you know, can you, can, I don't mean this literally, can you kick a kid in the ass and then put your arm around him as well, right? And again, I'm not taking that literally. So let's, let's see if you got to edit that out, you know, but you know, you got to come down on a kid and go, that's not good enough. You know what I mean? But then when they do something, well, that's fantastic. Really great stuff. I mean, and then, you know, hey, everything good at home, like that kind of stuff. Making time to man manage the individual is critical, right? Because the strength of the team is in the individual and the strength of the individual is in the team. But if you build the individual, that for me is a starting place. And that's not hard. When kids come to training, you, you see them outside of, it's touching base, you know, and, and you know that about kids. They need individual time. The team stuff for me is... Can you deliberately create an environment that is demanding and supportive at the same time? And if you know some real simple theories, you can move down that road pretty easily. These are all things that I talk about in my book, Talent Zones. They're, all, they're things that I cover differently, but similarly in the, in the licenses for U.S. soccer. And that process of being deliberate in the environment that you create for Mike Tyson, as an example, you know, for, you know, for that class of 92, as an example, if we're talking about Fergie's boys, right. For your under 15 girls team on a Tuesday in Boston, Massachusetts, you know, that is all something that you can do if you're intentional and you're mindful about creating a supportive, but demanding environment and you can do it. You can do it. Does it take work? Yeah. But it's not about going out and teaching a kid. Can you not? Can you? Can you? Can you? You know? Can you? Can you combine? Can you? Can you play a possession game four v four plus two? Of course, it's that. But it's also about problem solving within that. 
you know, and, 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 and man management or woman management in that process as well. So I just think for me, it's about being very deliberate and intentional. Uh, I'm listening. I think a lot of coaches get that wrong, you know, and, and, and the Fergie one in particular, because I got a hairdryer, you know, he's smashing guys. No, he's not. Of course he's being demanding, but the amount of times and Wayne Rooney's a great example, put your arm around the kid. You know, you know, you talk about um, who's the player we plucked from Arsenal and he won a championship. Van Persie. Of course, Van Persie. Why do you want to play for a guy like that? Because he's going to yell at you? No, he's not going to. He's going to be demanding. He's also going to put his arm around you and go, I expect from you. I expect from you. So there's a combination there where you're at the heart. Ferguson is building the human being. And a lot of clown coaches, in my opinion, get that wrong. They go, he's coming and screaming at these guys. And this is the culture we've got to build. It's like, no, come on. Not the case. Not the case. Anyway. No, I think going on that point as well is all players, no matter what age, will see the true coach. So I think you have to delve down to you being honest. Like you can't go in and put on an act because players will see straight through it. So you have to be honest in building those relationships. You can't just go in day one and expect the relationships just to happen relationships take time it's like it's like a marriage like anything it it takes time and work so when it comes to building these relationships obviously you had Fergie over a long period built so many relationships you look at Pep and you look at Guardiola um sorry Pep and Klopp they have different ways of building those relationships right so you see Klopp hugging these players you see Pep with their intensity but how important is it for any coach out there to develop that relationship with their players in order for them to be successful you said something, I don't know if you said it, but it, it, it made me think because I was just having a conversation with a coach and I don't know if I should mention him, but maybe I might. Um, authenticity. Authenticity. Kids can spot a phony a mile away. And that authenticity factor, um, and I'll blow up the LMU men's staff, you know, Christian Madrigal, Dean Johnson, and Kyle Schmidt, um, and those guys are good because they're super authentic in who they are. They're demanding, okay? Uh, they put a lot of time in relate into relationships, which I'll, I'll answer that question in a second. But I think that authenticity factor is key, and I think that's a really important part of who we are. To develop authenticity, I think, is hard when you're becoming a coach because you're like, who am I? Again, fifty-one, not thirty-one. I don't know if I would be able to have this conversation with you at thirty-one because I don't know if I knew who I was. Right. But now I know who I am. I have no problem talking about my faults and what I'm not great at. And I'm also not, I have no problem talking about things I've done well and I'm still trying to do well. So I think authenticity is really important because as you start to coach players, it's about a relationship, 100%. Right. You are engaging in a business partnership. That's what you're doing. And the business is about the game. And it's a game we all love. Well, we have we have ridiculous podcasts uh, to, to, dedicated to this game. You know, we watch the game. We love the game. But you are in a business partnership and you're in a relationship and you are trying to build each other into this. And you might have to be demanding and they might not like you as a coach. And that happens sometimes, right? But if you're authentic and you and you use those phrases of I'm trying to help you get better, you will misstep. You will misstep. But creating those relationships and nurturing those relationships and talking to and listening to and informing the parents if you're coaching youth youth players, 
and meeting often with college players and pro players and nurturing that so that there's real trust there so that when you go, listen, you've not made the travel roster. And they go, I don't agree with you. You go, I told you this is what we're expecting. This is how we're going to do it. And this is this is how I feel. Then I'll, if you've created that relationship, then the kid goes, I have to get better at my part. You're not always going to agree with coaches. It's the way it goes, right? But coaches taking time to do that, maybe then the kid goes, look, I, I don't understand what you're talking about. But if you didn't create the relationship, maybe they don't say anything, and then they got no chance to get better. Yeah, it reminds me of um, one of my cult heroes, Neil Warnock, um, who you know people have different opinions about, but when you look at his uh, kind of list of achievements, you can't argue that he has had a successful career. But he recently yeah. on a podcast said, being a manager of a professional club, ninety percent of that is just building relationships with individuals. That way you can get the best out of the individuals, whether you're managing a football team or whether you're you own a store and you're trying to get the best out of your staff. He said ninety percent of the job is building relationships with your players. Yeah. Uh, to get the most out of them. And I think that's the key is it's not just a case of they're gonna improve in terms of psychologically, but their actual actions out on the field are gonna improve when this takes effect as well. I think so, because if you're authentic with them, then they're probably not going to be afraid to be authentic with you. And one of the things we talk about a lot when I go into groups and work with them to help build their culture is providing an opportunity for athletes to feel safe uh, so that they're willing to be vulnerable. Because you cannot you cannot build the best version of you if you don't feel safe. And I mean, look at Klopp's guys. I'm not a Liverpool guy, but come on, man. Who would not want to play for that guy? But I bet that guy is in your business if you're not getting your act together, in your business, right? But I bet those guys would, for the, the majority of them, even if they're not on the, on the in the 18, would would run to a wall for that guy. Yeah, I think you know? it's, it's about creating that culture, right? And that environment. Klopp's obviously got his culture of how he does things. And you spoke a little bit about, you might not always be liked as a coach. You might not have that about you. How, because I sometimes find with coaches, they want to go in day one and be the player's friends. They want to be mates with the players. Yes, you want to have maybe that style of relationship, but you also want to have that authority about you as well. I sometimes find with coaches, it can be tricky to find the balance between them. Any ways you would look to maybe develop the right balance when creating that that relationship? Wow. That's a hard question. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I've got an answer. I mean, part of that, again, is to know who you are, you know, that authenticity piece, you know, what, what do you like? How do you motivate? Um, I also think it's like, well, who do you have in front of you? You know, what do they need from you? And maybe that's also a place to start, you know, because it's about them, not about you. Um, and so maybe what do they need? I also think part of it then is you've got to have, you've got to be able to set boundaries because you're not, I remember saying this to students one time, I'm like, I'm not your friend. They're like, well, that's mean. And I was like, well, well what I mean is I'm like, uh, I'm your, I'm your teacher. I can be friendly. You know what I mean? But we're not friends. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a professor and I'm here for you, but we're not, you know, we're not going to get a beer, you know, on Thursday afternoon at noon. Um, you know, that's, that's not good, you know? So, um, yeah, I think maybe looking at who you are and what the players need, you know, um, yeah, that's a hard one. Maybe also too, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, Jack, you were talking about like, you know, some of your heroes, like a Neil Warnock, like you look at other guys and how they do it. Right. Or maybe that's not your hero. Like maybe 
but one of the guys you've heard on a recent podcast right but even it's like you have guys in your club or girls in your club that are they're really good to look up to you know and go how do they do it you know and part of that maybe is like you find what they do and you go well, i like the way they do that and you try that you might find after six months that's not you you're you need to talk more instead of uh listen more you know i, I don't know yeah that's a really hard one um but knowing who you are is a really good place to start and knowing what they need, I think, too. So on that part as well, I'm thinking about the word responsibility, right? You've got to have, you've got to be responsible for your actions. So when it comes to you making mistakes as a coach or making mistakes as a player, how important is it then to be responsible for your actions? We spoke a little bit earlier about sometimes we push the mistakes to the side. We don't want to learn from them. So as a coach, a player, an athlete, whatever sport it might be, responsibility is key to take your, for your own actions. How have you found players and coaches handle responsibility in that terms? Well, I'll, let me tie this back into the awareness discussion because awareness and responsibility for me go hand in hand, uh, which is why I put them together in the, in the modules at, at the Sports Tech FC stuff. You can be, you might be able to be aware that you're making mistakes, but are you willing to lean into them and adjust? I'm aware when, as an example, I might be wrong in an argument with my spouse, but frequently I'm unwilling to acquiesce, she would suggest. <laughs> uh, but with athletes, part of that is if they're willing to take responsibility, are you willing to teach or are you just going to come in and go, yeah, I told you that. Now sit down and shut up again, super extreme, but I'm just saying it. So when you have an athlete that's willing to take responsibility, are you willing to be patient with them and teach them, you know, and sometimes they've got to come out and you got to sit them. I get it. It's part of it. So I think that's part of it. For me, coaches, I go right back to the beginning of our day today. Are you willing to be patient with yourself and take responsibility for the fact that you had a shocker in the substitution pattern there? You should have put the kid in for longer because she only played zero minutes, five minutes. Are you willing to then look at yourself in the mirror if it's a larger discussion, go, you know, halftime we had a bad chat, I made the wrong adjustments and that's on me, you know? But part of that again is ability, which is awareness, willingness, which is responsibility. And that whole process kind of boils down to and i hate to do this because it's super gimmicky but do you have a growth mindset or do you have a fixed mindset are you willing to grow or do you think it's never going to happen right and leaning into that and being willing to be wrong because you understand that you can be right the next time or you can get it more right the next time is an important part of coaching you know and i think the guys we've mentioned already, the Peps, you know, the Klops, you know, the Fergies are willing to look at themselves and go, I didn't get that right. You know, they have trusted assistants that would do the same, as opposed to maybe a Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, well, I think sometimes allegedly, players, allegedly. Um, players or coaches, sometimes it comes down to almost like self-preservation, right, of, of almost putting on an act or a persona to, to give the impression that Either it wasn't me making that mistake or that's not a mistake I would normally make, so I, I don't need to address it or I, I need to act like it didn't happen kind of thing. So I, I've, I'd be interested on your thoughts in terms of 
self-preservation. And then the other question I wanted to ask was, um, in some scenarios, there's uh, a mul multiple coaches in a in a, um, a team of, of coaches working together with a group of players. Would you advise then that those coaches take up different roles in the way they interact with players? You know, almost like a good cop, bad cop kind of thing? Or is it just down to one individual coach to try and build individual relationships with players? How would you advise kind of a team of coaches to work together? Yeah, I mean, let me hit that second one because I think if you're lucky enough to have a staff, you got to enjoy those people and you have to trust those people and you have to be willing to give up just a little bit of control to those people, you know, because just like a business, if you think you're going to get everything done, you're out of your mind, right? Uh, and especially when we're de dealing with human beings, you definitely have to have people that are a little bit more gentle than some people that are going to come drop the hammer. And so being very deliberate in the roles that you allocate uh, and then being willing to do those roles is really important, right? Because I think then that offers you the opportunity to really make the most of the group um, and the different personalities that might need a little bit harder hand and some might need a little bit more of an arm around. And so I think that um, that's critical. Um, yeah, so if you're lucky to do that. We're often not lucky to have that at the youth level, right? If ever. But I do think allocating roles to players is important both on the formal side, captain, you know, that kind of stuff. And also informal, like the person who's going to cheer the person up and, you know, do you, or do you, you know, like I gave you the example of my Gavin, who was, you know, that informal role, he's a, he's a good teammate and that's cool, you know? And so I think you're not going to have the luxury of a big staff, but if you can allocate roles to kids and even parents, you know, do you have a parent on the sideline who, you know, can, manage the out of control parent as an example and just kind of get in their ear and go, you know, you got to chill, bro. Um, yeah. So yeah, of course. And I, I the first question. It's just about self-preservation for players. and <laughs> Self-preservation. Of course we all do it. You know, we all do it, but at the same time, it's like the ethic is about what's best for the player. That's the ethic, right? What's best for the kid what's best for the player. Now, if you're trying to save your job, you can manipulate the media, you can manipulate everybody, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And maybe maybe that's something you need to do once in a while to, to get out of a squeaky bind. But I would say then in private, you better think to yourself, I've got to change this or it's not going to go well, you know, because we're all self-preservationists in some way, shape or form. But if you can't look at yourself from here and go, I better adjust because that's not, I didn't handle that well. I didn't handle that well. If I do it again, I'm going to be out of a job. I'm going to be sacked in the morning. You're getting sacked. In <laughs> One of the world's famous uh, chants that we all love and hate. Mm -hmm. um, but you spoke a little bit when Jack asked about like the role of teams. And I think one of those roles as well, we look at the coaching staff, but in terms of the players, you have the role of a captain. So when it comes to that role of being a captain, from a, a psychology point of view, what's needed to be a captain of any team? I, I, I read a book, I think it was last year or the year before, 
and the author took captains from all different sports. I think it's called the captain's class. And there was all different traits, but it kind of gelled into one. But from your point of view, what is the captain? It sounds like that book is going to give you more than I'm going to give you in this, you know, three minute snippet. Um, I captains, in my opinion, are partly an extension of the coach and his or her values. I feel okay. I think about some captains in different sports, you know what I mean? Um, soccer in particular, um, but I'm just thinking of some captains of different teams. I think it's an extension of the club. I think it's an extension of the coach and what he, she demands and what what they expect from their players. I also think that that captain has to have a very authentic voice, you know, and can't just be a favorite player. We're talking about um, kids. I think they've got to, they, they, they have to look the part. So they have to be decent, in my opinion. You know, I think you can have co-captains that may not be starters because I think their voice is equally important but different. Okay, but we talked about the, the captain. Um, yeah, authentic voice. Um, can they do it or the extension of the coach? Uh, that's probably my list. I mean, that's a really hard one. I just think there's so much in that that is so coach dependent. What does she want from her captain? You know, what does he want? And 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 to so maybe this is really the answer. It's like, what does the coach want? You know, are they an extension of you on the field? You know, are they extension of the club on the field? If we're talking, you know, collegiate or or, or professional or even use. Um, and maybe as a club, you come up with that. Maybe that's part of what the discussion is. It's like, what what do we expect in our captains? You come up with a list of five things, and, and your book sounds, again, like a great reference point. Um, yeah. yeah I, I like how you mentioned it. It's kind of like an extension from the, the coach's mindset. And I feel like even your players could sometimes be an extension from the, the coach's mindset because you, you've all got to be on that kind of same page. Um, I'd love to kind of... And it's a really tough topic to really home in on, but the word confidence that we hear a lot and we hear it across all levels of the game, all different sports. Um, one thing that I kind of find with some of my players sometimes is they sometimes can lack confidence. And even at the highest level, you're going to go through spells and you take, for example, Marcus Rashford, right? Marcus Rashford last year was dreaming full of confidence. Is he confident this year? Maybe, but not. it's not being perceived that way. So when it comes to confidence, what can kind of be some of the tools to gain more confidence or maybe be aware of your confidence levels? Great question. This is probably one of the biggest things I work on with athletes. You know what I mean? Because it's um, when you're in good form, the world's yours. The world is yours, you know? To maintain good form and consistency is the difference between the elites, right? To find consistency as a youth college or pro player is what they're seeking, right? When you don't have consistency, can you continue to believe in yourself? That's that's the trick. Where I start with players is my biggest thing is to put the onus on the athlete. The coach is not 
the boss of your feelings. Your mom or dad is not the boss of your feelings. And in this particular case, isn't in charge of how you feel about yourself and how you believe in yourself, period. That's a hard and long discussion sometimes. Part of what I say to athletes as well is confidence is real and not real, okay? In that it is there, but what does that mean? I also say to them, it doesn't go from zero to 100. It's not gone. It's just hiding, okay? And we as athletes or you as athletes have the power to manage that. Now, part of that, the players will say, well, he's not giving me time or she's not giving me time on the field. And I understand that. But if you don't believe in yourself, then you can't even reach the ceiling that that is your ceiling because you are you don't believe in yourself. This is where I get into the, the discussion of green and red and orange. Like adjectives describe the best part of you. Like what makes you special? I'm determined. I'm excited. I'm relentless. I'm relentless to pursue victories. Like, and we start to attach phrases. Those are green words for the athletes. Okay. What does it look like when you're in the red? Well, I'm beating myself up. I'm stupid. I'm the worst parent. I give a, I can't believe I'm, I'm out here. To, to understand and to go in and have an understanding as an example of things that you have with your self-talk to maintain belief in yourself are real things. And if we can go in and manage those, that is a is very much a building block of confidence. And there are actual building blocks of confidence that exist out there. One of them is your self-talk, okay? Another one is, can you build small victories? Can you find small successes, right? Because when you can build small successes and you can get a win, you can beat that player, then, then I, I don't want to hear any of the nonsense of it. I'm never good. BS. You mean you're not as good as, as many times as you want to, but never is not accurate. So are you able and willing to take responsibility for the fact that you just beat that player once, which means you can beat a player twice. So that aspect of small victories is an important part. And so to get players to note those things and find those things is important. And then really it's about managing those lows right? When you feel low, it's like, well, how can you find a way to dig yourself out of it? So one of the things I talk a lot about, and I, I use a curse word, but I won't hear. It's like, I have a, when stuff goes sideways plan with athletes. So when things aren't going your way and you feel like that alarm bell's going off and you're about to push the red, you know, nuclear button, you know, can you have a management system that goes, I'm not the worst player on the planet? Because as soon as you do that, you're done it's over. You're, you're falling off the cliff in terms of your stress. But if you can find a, a way to manage and stay in the green and those adjectives, I can do this. Lee, I can, you're all right. You made a mistake. You get the next one because sometimes you're not a hundred percent. Let's just say you're 80%. You have to be a hundred percent of the 80%, a hundred percent. Because as soon as you go, ah, oh, I'm only at 80%, which you don't do, but you're like, ah, then you're at 70%. Okay, and I learned this in beach volleyball when I was working with the Olympians and we were um, at the Olympics or we were working with world championships. It's like in beach volleyball, if you give up a point, okay. If you give up two in a row, not good. If you give up three in a row, you're in, you're in, it's tough because it's tough to side out, right? Okay, it's tough to get the ball back uh, and, and score points. So as soon as you go three down, you, you're, you're tracking because then it goes 
12, 9, you know, 13, 10, 14, 11. To go 14, 12, 14, 13, 14, 14 is a near impossibility. You follow? So for me, it's like getting players to recognize that you're not, you're not a zero. Okay. And there are, so, so those aspects of like self-belief are all achievable components. And I know because I beat myself up still. I'm not perfect. I go, man, why did you do that? That's not good. And then I can go, that's not good again. I was like, ugh. But I'll I'll stew on it. I'm like, all right, get the next one. Don't eat don't eat the next chocolate. Come on, man. You're better than that. <laughs> yeah, I fell on that one. But I do think confidence is one of the toughest topics to discuss. But you know, there I think you've given really practical ideas and advice, and I think that's one of the the best things that what I found really interesting about this conversation is the practical advice that you can give to coaches and players that makes an impact. Because um, I I think it, sometimes it can be hard to find those ideas that you can really put into place and use with your players or if you're a player that you can use with yourself and uh, and find improvements with so that definitely makes me want to uh, look into the platform sports sports like fc even more and something i'll be recommending to my players as well um, but to finish with one final question just talking about that practical advice for coaches if you were going to give youth soccer coaches one piece of advice or one thing that you want them to do with their players, uh, what would it be? We are here to make them better. We're here to make players better. We're here to, to, to push them, to pull them, to, to prod them. We're, that's our job. Okay. You, you, a lot of coaches think we're here to win games. I got that. I understand. Let's take that off the table. If we can look out for how to develop players and help them get better, youth, college, or pro, and we're out there to do that, and we're patient in that endeavor, and we seek to find where their weaknesses are and how we can nurture those and how we can get them better, that to me is what I try and give coaches. Because if you can do that, if you can help a player get better, 1% better, okay, 5% better, all of a sudden the whole is getting better. The team is getting better. And I just think that aspect of, of who we are as coaches, I don't want to win. I hate losing. Talked about this. I understand when I was coaching, I wanted to win. But it's like, how can I help these kids get better? How can I help them understand the tactic as an example of what I'm trying to do in, 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 in breaking down a low block? Okay, well, that aspect, it's like, because then, then we as coaches are always trying to find the solution to try to help them understand. And if we take that in mind, then, then we're seeking. We're seeking what's right. Not like I screwed up, but how can I do better? So I feel like that's the biggest one. Well, Lee, this, this episode, I mean, if you could see the page of notes I've wrote down, I literally want to run to a field now and start coaching because I've got so many tips and advice that I've taken from it. This has been fantastic. Um, and just for the listeners that are listening in, just explain how they can find Sports Psych FC. Yeah. So... It's on the web, sportspsychfc.com. So sport and then psych, P-S-Y-C-H-F-C.com. Click on there. It should be pretty self-explanatory. Um, I work with individuals, but for me, I'm also trying to partner with clubs because educating the people that are around the kids is really important for me. Um, and then if I, as I start and have started to get into clubs, educating the staff on what I'm doing gives them an opportunity to go, yeah, you know, you might want to hit this 
um, and try and check it out. So, but yeah, and I'll I'll answer any email that comes through because I'm always, you know, I'm always anxious to hear what people like and don't like, and I've I've changed a couple of things, you know, even in the even in the month and a half that this has been out. Yeah, and I think the key thing is you could go and coach one kid and improve one kid, but you go and improve a coach, you're improving. 10, 15, maybe even 100 kids if it's part of a club. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be sure to get the website out there and the link out there to use. But, Lee, this has been a really, really fascinating episode, and we, we thank you for your time uh, for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good stuff. I mean, Jack, who's your team? I mean, I never got your team. I've got a United um, guy. I'm a Huddersfield Town fan, so we had a massive 1-0 win against Sunderland tonight. So that was great. Hey, good for you. Getting us out of that relegation battle in the championship. <laughs> That's it'd, be, it'd be interesting as well that if Jack is struggling on the the question I gave to him at the start, if you uh, if you had any players in mind as well. But Jack, just for for you and the the listeners, hopefully you've uh, you've got a few answers here. There are five players in the Premier League that with the last name of Johnson or Jones that have won the Premier League. So in Premier League history, five players with the last name Johnson or Jones. Yeah, I'm struggling here. The one I actually got first was the six, the the bonus one, which I think is idea good Johnson. Yeah, got the extra point. I don't. Oh, think I, got, I definitely. Haven't, I don't think I've got the five. Um, so my first is a question mark. Does Ronnie Johnson count yep. as Johnson? That is going to be crept in there. That is going to count. It's just that instead of an O, it's an E. So I'll give you that one. There you go, big Ronnie. I was remembering from the Champions League final. Yeah. Um, and then two more recent ones. I think I might have the Joneses. Phil Jones, I always remember when Man City scored the goal to win the league and his face was the one that was on camera and he pulled a ridiculous face as he realised they weren't going to win the league. The king but of I faces. Think he probably, yeah, but I think he probably won the league the, maybe the year before. Correct. Man United. And Curtis Jones won Liverpool, won the league. Was he there at that point? Correct. He was there. Missing two Johnsons. Um, and then the other one that comes to mind, I don't it would be Glenn Johnson. Did he did he win the league? Who did he win the league with? Glenn Johnson won it. And then there's one more. And is it it's a Johnson or a Jones? It is a Johnson, and I'll give you I'll give you a little bit of a clue. Uh he did serve some time. Oh, Adam Johnson. Adam Johnson won it for City, I think, in his last year of City. Oh really? Oh well, okay. Yeah, I would never have guessed that without the clue. But uh, fair play to you. Yeah, well I'm like I said, I I wouldn't have got the Adam Johnson at all. Glenn Johnson was just the only other Johnson I could think of. <laughs> but, uh, no, well done. And uh, yeah, Jack, any last words? No, I feel like we've just got a free lesson. Um, <laughs> but I'll be going over to Sports Psych FC to find out even more because I know that um, there's some really good uh, ideas here that are going to help me as a coach. And I know a lot of the listeners will do the same as well. So very insightful. Thanks for coming on, Lee. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, and uh, from both of us, thank you, and uh, we bid the listeners uh, a farewell. Thank you.